Welcome to Side Talks! Podcast about movies! Who are you? I'm Rachel Morgan. I'm, I'm Corey Craft! I, I, I just stepped on your line! That's, <laughs> nobody needs to hear it Wait, again. Yeah, yeah, they do. I'm the creative director for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. Hey, that's coming up pretty soon, the it festival. It is, it is. We're Woo. back downtown in Birmingham. That's pretty good. Pretty but good. That's not what we're doing today. It's what I'll be doing all night tonight. Right. Yeah, uh, I, uh, yeah. With uh, uh, eight weeks until the festival, as of this recording, um, I have a feeling like uh, as soon as we're done recording this podcast, you're going to be uh, back to it. Uh, that's right. But um, right now, we're going to talk about other movies. For over one million years, Rachel and Corey have talked, and now they share with you one of the greatest accomplishments of all time. Their list of the top 200 films. Boy, I love that intro. Um, anyway, this is it. This is where we talk about the movies. We are at numbers 88 through 81 yeah. on our top 200 lists. Burning so do you want to kick it. us off? I do, I do. My 88 is one that I think is, if, if you had to guess a film that was going to be on my list, you just wouldn't guess this. Okay. And that is The Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, The Metal Years. Why wouldn't I guess that? I that don't know. Seems... I just, it's it's a bit of a dustier one on my list, I think, you know? I, I would be surprised if the first decline of uh, Western Civilization did not make your list. Is this the only representation? It's the only representation wow. because it is my favorite of all of them, directed by Penelope Sirius. Yeah. Um, I tried to program just this film because this is the thing about these films, uh-huh. right? And this was before we had a cinema. Now, what I will say is that uh, a retrospective of all these films would be really fun and really great. And yeah, we should, hell yeah. We should do that. Yeah. Because they are all really great. I just have a, a, a very, uh, you know, just a place in my heart for the metal years because it is the metal years. Um, and doesn't take itself terribly seriously. Yeah. And so um, I wanted to screen this one just a one-off as part of our screen talk series mm. before we had a cinema and the distributor actually reached directly out to P- Penelope Spiris and she was like, absolutely not. You can't play just part two. Wow. You can play them all. She was like, I will work with you to play all of them, but you cannot just pick out part two. Huh. So anyway, I thought that. So she really does view them all as like one work. I think she also see, I think there's also some sensitivity to maybe this being sort of, quote unquote made fun of Mm, Um, even though I would suggest that and I'm not trying to question the director here but I would suggest that when I'm watching this I'm enjoying this in celebration of and not laughing at sure but there it seems my I my my vibe with it was there was a little uh, a bit of sensitivity to us possibly sort of pulling that out and looking at it as a sort of fodder Penelope Spears uh if you're listening, and I hope you are, uh, what you need to understand about the Sidewalk Film <laughs> Festival is that it has never uh, screened anything from the 1980s in a mocking fashion. Oh, that's true. Uh, well, well we, we do have bad movie night. We have never overtly done that. Okay. Fair yeah, enough. Fair enough. Anyway, that was that's my 88. It's a great film. If you've never seen it, seek it out. Um, and I believe that's number 88 from 1988. Yeah? Yeah. 
Well, my number 88 is not from 1988, nor is it about heavy metal music. In fact, the star of this movie, John Wayne, probably would have detested heavy oh, he metal music. Oh, he would have hated it. Um, and all them, you know, uh, all that counterculture nonsense. Uh, but he made a great movie with his frequent collaborator, John Ford. It's called The Searchers. Yeah. Um, regarded as one of the best Westerns of all time. Probably not my personal favorite Western, but uh, it's really great. Yeah. It's cool. really great. Cool. I have a very different number 87, and uh, this is getting super meta. I'm about to get real, real meta with some shit right now, and that is from 1979, All That Jazz, mm. directed by Bob Fosse, yeah. uh, starring Jessica Lane as the Angel of Death. Bob Fosse directing a actor who's performing as Bob Fosse, and it is about the end of a, of a life of... Bob Fosse, um, somebody who has lived very hard, who, ha- who has some serious addiction issues, dependency issues, and has kind of been a, a son of a bitch his entire life. And he's coming to terms with that um, while also continuing to be a son of a bitch. Yeah. And Fosse, you know, was not near the end of his life when all that jazz came out. He directed at least one more movie. He did, but I would say he was in the, uh, I, I, he was, he was in the later part of his sure. life. So, yeah. you know, he's kind of, it definitely was at an age where he was looking back and this was part of that process. So, boy, how, and when you look at these behind the scenes shots from this and you see Bob Fosse dressed in that very, you know, theater director kind of aesthetic and directing somebody dressed as him. Yeah. It's just freaking surreal. Um, anyway, I loved this film as a kid. <laughs> it is such innovative editing when yeah. you see the beginning of this thing and he's getting ready and does the It's Showtime folks thing where he's like popping pills and dropping stuff in his eyes. And I'm like, damn, I can't wait to be an adult. It's going to be fun as hell. <laughs> um, anyway, Bob Fosse's about to show up on my list again, so I'll shut up now about him and Ooh. pass it to you. All right. Well, my number 87 is from my uh, my boy Brian De Palma. Uh, Got to go back to old Brian. Um, yeah, you And do. we'll return several more times, I think, before <laughs> it's all said will. and done. Um, but this is his, um, his 80s thriller blowout with John Travolta. Might be mm. one of my favorite John nice. Travolta performances. Kind of a take on Antonioni's blow up. Um, a wonderful sort of um, old European semi-thriller where the idea of there even being a crime committed is left an open question. Uh, Blowout is more definitive. There is a crime. It turns out to be a, uh, in De Palma fashion, a vast reaching government conspiracy with a terrifying John Lithgow as a hitman. Yeah. Um, Lots of wonderful, you know, sort of meta cinematic touches in this thing too, because Travolta is a uh, Foley recorder uh, for scuzzy horror movies in, in this movie. Um, So uh, just a blast of just De Palma, Hitchcock goodness. Um, I love it. Love it so much. Yeah, cool. Um, my, I'm doing this again. Didn't even realize it. My 86 was came out in 86. Hey. Um, so coincidentally. And, uh, and by the way, uh, a lot of my films on this portion of the list tend to fall in the, in the 80s and 90s, uh, just coincidentally as well. But this film is one that changed my life. And uh, it, it's Sid and Nancy, uh, directed by Alex Cox. Yeah, uh, I saw this film as a, as a very young youngster, and I don't know why, but it really struck me in a in a way that made me look at films differently totally. as a very young kid. And uh, you know, I don't know if I can ever see this film without that context somehow being brought to it. 
Um, uh, also, a little fun side note about this film. Um, clearly, it's about um, Nancy Spungen, Sid Vicious, and Courtney Love really wanted to play Nancy Spungen, tried out for that role, didn't get it, but is in the film at the very beginning for just a couple of minutes. Is that right? Yeah, she plays a Nancy Spungen fan. <laughs> wow. And uh, and so there is a wailing, wailing Courtney Love, I believe, wailing in the lobby of the Chelsea Hotel at the beginning of this film. Wow. And huh. yeah, yeah, that's that's a fun reason to rewatch it, even though, boy, this is not a fun watch. Yeah, I have not seen this movie since I was in high school. Yeah. Um, but I remember really enjoying it. I, I, I don't know can't remember if I watched it in full though. It was just a movie that was for whatever reason uh, on a lot um, in the houses of the people I was hanging out with, if that tells you anything. Yeah. So um, it's something I need to revisit as an adult. Uh, my number 86 is a film by Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. It's one of the most beautiful movies ever made. It's the red shoes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we screened that not that long ago at the cinema yeah. pre quarantine. Thanks to Kyle McKinnon. Yeah. He, he's brought that to the, to his series that he was hosting there. And beautiful, vibrant telecolor, like some, or a technicolor, like so many of their other movies. Yeah. Um, but boy, it's, it's truly a, a visual feast, uh, wonderful dancing, wonderful music. Yeah. Well, I'm about to bring you a very fucked up number 85. Well, what else is new? (laughs) That's true. I warned you that Bob Fosse would be returning, and indeed he is. Um, This is Star 80. Yeah, so this is the movie he makes immediately after all that jazz, right? This comes out like 81, something like that? 83. I think production began, yeah, you're right, shortly after all that jazz was released and had, you know, again, a very different era of theatrical run. Right. So, so yeah, you're right. It doesn't get much more fucked up than this. No, it's a very fucked up film um, based on unfortunate true story of Dorothy Stratton and the last sort of really spans her, the time that she was first discovered and then uh, to her death. And man, Eric Roberts is, or as I like to call him, Julia Roberts brother. He is something else in this. And if for no other reason, this film should be watched for his performance. But let me trigger warn you on this thing, especially knowing that it is a film that is very, very closely based on what actually happened there. And it's a it's a horrible story. It's a terrible fucking story. So imagine being Peter Bogdanovich. And finding out that one of your contemporaries is making this movie. I mean, how do, how do you react to that? Well, I don't give a shit how Peter Bogdanovich reacts because Peter, what, how, how did he react? He basically shacks up with Dorothy Stratton's sister. Or oh, that's true. I forgot. About I mean, that. he's a son of a bitch. Yeah, you're right. I forgot. It got about that. real fucking weird. Yeah. But no, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, my understanding is he was not happy about this film at all. Yeah. I can't imagine. Even though I don't think that as a, Somebody plays him in this film because right. he does. I mean, this sort of. I'm trying. I'm. We're trying not to sort of. If you if you know the story, then you know. There's not really a spoiler here, so to speak. I mean, Dorothy Stratton meets a really terrible end, um, but she had just begun dating Peter Bogdanovich in real life as she's beginning to as her career is beginning to move from Playboy Bunny to serious actress, and you know, really Playboy Bunny to not so serious actress to an attempt to be a serious actress. Yeah. Um, and Peter, she's dating Peter Bogdanovich at the time. And so somebody plays Peter Bogdanovich in this film. And I, I, his, the representation of him in the film is kind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's not portrayed as being an an asshole at all. No, no. I, I, that's, that's my memory of it too. It's just, you know, talk about, (laughs) I mean, Bob Fosse or any, 
filmmaker or any artist trying to mine a story that close yeah. to him for, you know, inspiration or to make a film out of it. I, I don't know. I, I probably, I would not react very well to that either, but I agree with you that it's a, a good film and a film worth seeing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, if, but boy, who, yeah, but again, about a gazillion trigger warnings, yeah, you know, and we can debate whether or not we think that this sort of thing could be, should be depicted. But I, I would argue that, um, it, it is representative of, uh, of a life and in, in a way that, you know, while there is brutality in it and violence that it's still, you know, worthwhile representation of someone's life. So, yeah. Anyway. We, again, a bigger argument, but it, you know, clearly it lands at number 85 on my list, despite being a very provocative 85. Uh, yeah, provocative film. Uh, my 85 is also provocative, though not in the sense that Star 80 is. Uh, this is another open-ended mystery about uh, a class full of young women who go into the Australian wilderness and just kind of disappear. I'm talking about Peter Weir's Picnic at Hanging yeah. Rock, one of the most weirdly uh, uncomfortable and weirdly frightening movies in which not a lot happens that I've ever seen. There's just something un- that leaves you uneasy about the lack of resolution in this movie. And Peter Weir, we've already talked about Peter Weir a great deal um, in recent weeks, um, talking about two movies of his that you don't like, but um Surely you don't hold the same opinion about Picnic at Hanging Rock. No, I like Picnic at Hanging Rock. And, you know, we do the segment or we don't do the segment, really. I keep threatening to a segment like things Candace says in a movie. And uh-huh. my friend Candace Murdoch, this is one of her favorites, which if you know her at all, that's, you know, you can kind of it, – it tracks. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I'm – and again, this is also one that Kyle screened at Sidewalk during Comic Con. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So that's another – am I wrong to say – am I remembering correctly? Because please keep in mind, again, programming the festival right now so my brain is scattered. <laughs> but this is also potentially a Valentine's Day film. Is that what it is? Or oh, that holiday? sounds familiar. Yeah, I think it is around Valentine's yeah, Day. that it takes place. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I think it was like when I said, what Valentine's Day should we – should we film should we screen? And Candace was like, picnic at Hanging Rock. I mean, that's a – that's a great choice. <laughs> it's a choice I approve of heartily. We want Romeo and Juliet instead. Anyway, yeah. um, sorry, continue on. No, that's it. That's, yeah, okay. great, great movie. Cool. Well, my 84 is a is is one that is, I don't know, if it's very dated, but still somehow I think stands the test of time. And that is from 1998, Tom Twyker's Run, Lola, Run. Mm, yeah, this is a good movie. I freaking love this thing. Well, you know, it falls into that corridor of movies that young Corey was exposed to that kind of made me realize what movies could be. You know yeah, what I mean? That's a I cheesy mean, totally. that's a cheesy way to put that, but uh formally innovative and propulsive and always just constantly entertaining. Yeah, and I mean, let's face it, when when I saw this thing in 1998, I went, "Oh, shit, I've never seen anything like this." Yeah. That even just the first five minute opening is just wild, you yeah. know. And so while it, again, while it does feel dated, I think you can still look at this thing and go, "Oh man, that looks like innovation at that time." Totally. You know? So I, I love this film a lot. I think it's a it's it's a really fun, you know, fast paced and and does the alternative ending thing right. Yeah. So anyway, that's it. my that's my eighty four. I stick by it. 
Uh, my name, my number eighty four, um, is a film called Vivre Savie by Jean Luc Godard. Mm-hmm, I have mm-hmm. a complicated relationship with Godard. Yeah. Um. So just so do a lot of people. Yeah. So do a lot of people. Um. I I'm not the biggest Godard fan. So those of you screaming at your your phones or podcast apps for more French New Wave representation on these lists, you're gonna have to keep screaming. But this is the one, uh, that really really speaks to me. Um. And it's not really Godard's doing. It's uh, his star and uh, romantic partner at the time, Anna Karina, um, who gives one of the best uh, performances in any Godard movie ever, probably the best performance in a Godard movie uh, in this. Uh, It's sort of a uh, chapter-by-chapter portrait of um, this central female character, um, and it goes into some interesting places, so I don't want to talk too much about it, but uh, if you like Godard's experimentation um or even if you don't really this is this is one i guess where it's it's tolerable and interesting and grounded in something human by that lead performance yeah 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 and i mean i i will acknowledge too that and and maybe something i should have said out the gate when we first started talking about lists is that my list tends to be very american yeah um you know and i i had it when i was in film school undergrad my my mentor was actually from belgium Mm -hmm. um her first language was french and I went to her at some point and just confessed. I said, I know, you know, watch a lot of French films and I feel like I have to admit something to you that like I still find that I am um, my favorite films tend to be, you know, from the US. And and she said, and I won't I won't butcher her accent, but she said, Well you you are American, so of course the of course they are, you know. So I, I feel like I was given permission by my mentor to embrace the films that I truly love and that, that it's okay for those to be from the region in which you live. Well, but, you know, Godard and Truffaut and all those guys, their favorite films were American films yeah, too. I mean, so good like, point, good yeah. point. And, and in addition to that, again, just an acknowledgement that that my list does not stand as the best films ever made. They, they stand as the films they're, they're, they're that I am favorites. putting on a list. Yeah. If, I, uh, I, if I were to make a, the top 100 films of all time, it'd be a different list. Sure. Um, but, on that same note here, now we get to number 83 and a very typically American favorite landing here, and that is The Dark Knight, uh, directed by Christopher Hell Nolan. Hell yeah. Uh, just got that 4K Blu-ray disc coming in the mail today. Thank you, Amazon Prime. Thank you, oh. our benevolent overlords at Amazon. God damn Gonna it. put that in and ch- check that out in beautiful 4K UHD resolution. Corey A. Craft, Rachel A. Morgan. The A stands for Amazon. They own <laughs> us. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not revealing anything when I say, you know, this is not, this is not earth-shattering news when I say the Dark Knight lands there because it has one of the greatest villains of all time. Hell yeah, it does. Um, just spectacular performance that is hard to take your eyes off of in that film. God bless Heath Ledger. Yeah. Uh, number 83 for me has an equally magnetic villainous performance at its center from Mr. Klaus Kinski uh, uh, in, in the film A Gear of the Wrath of God from yep. Werner Herzog, where he plays a conquistador trying to conquer the wilderness. But in typical Herzog fashion, um, their efforts are uh, all um, for nothing because you can't beat nature. Nature is a land of chaos um, and uh, will you know, defeat your feeble human attempts to master it every single time. That's sort of like Herzog's guiding thesis, I feel like, in virtually all of his movies. But Agira is the portrait of madness that, that I think speaks the most to me. 
Oh, the wacky Herzog. Um, okay, my number 82 is from director Alex Kashishian from 1991, and that is Madonna, Truth or Dare. Mm, I've it never seen this. an amazing documentary. Again, lands on my list because it is something that I will come back to time and time again. It has so many interesting, strange, funny, weird, enlightening moments in it. <clears throat> and I think more than anything... You know, I, I, I'm a Madonna fan, I admit that, but also even if you're not, I think this is a really interesting film that captures the early 90s in a particular way, but also a performer who is at the top of their abilities. Madonna was never before and will never again be at the le- performing at the level that she was on on this particular tour at this particular stage in her life and yes this is also when she's dating Warren Beatty so there's this weird Warren Beatty minutes there's hmm. a there's a strange lunch with Sandra Bernhard it is also this really weird look at fame at a level that you just don't go much higher from and yeah. that is internationally like not just in this country not but everywhere she goes it it is it is a weird glimpse at how somebody moves through the world when they when they are no longer just in just a human being. When yeah. they have reached a level in which they are not able to exist like a person would in the world. And with all of that, it is you know just a I think a, a time capsule of a movie that is worthy of being on a list. I mean, and that's why we have the Madonna we have today taking pictures of like (laughs) bathtubs with flower petals in them. uh, And like, oh boy, it sure is tough out here with with this coronavirus Um, or whatever that was. It doesn't, uh, shocker, fame does not create, you know, well-adjusted people. uh, Well-adjusted and uh, pleasant human beings. Yeah. There, it reminds me. There is. I know I'm talking a lot today, but it reminds. It remind. There's one moment in the Taylor Swift doc, Miss Americana. Yeah. One moment that kind of reminds me of of Truth or Dare, but that also is for some reason was I found to be, um, very eerie. Mm. And and I don't know. It, it's it's a jaw dropping sort of sh- moment, and it's just when she's in that dress and she gets in the elevator. Mm-hmm. And there's a sort of circus around her. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's something about it's just. I think it's a. I think it's actually a great compliment to the director that she caught this moment. But it is it, there is something chilling about the way that she's moving through the world and and sort of getting in this elevator that is. It, it there's not even it's not even about the dialogue. It's just it's just the moment in that film. And there are multiple of those moments in Truth or Dare as well. I should check this out. Yeah, I, yeah. I you should. Anyway, I will shut up now and and. Keep moving down our list. Uh, number 82 for me is Howard Hawks' wonderful musical Gentlemen Prefer Blondes with Marilyn Monroe wow. and Jane Russell. That surprises me. What else What else do you need in a movie? You got Marilyn, you got Jane Russell, you got singing, you got dancing, you got barely veiled double entendre, yeah. and it's just one of the most spectacular visual uh, feasts uh, that you'll ever see in a movie musical. I love this movie. I don't necessarily disagree with you. I'm just surprised that made your list. Hell yeah. Um, but cool, cool. I'm vast. I contain multitudes. 
Um, I'm jumping decades here with my number 81 and landing on from 1958, a film that you're going to very much agree with, and that is Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Yeah, you might hear more about that later on on my list. Figured one of the strangest Hitchcock films and just a real fucking weird film. Oh, I love digging into this with my film students. I mean, there is a lot to unpack there. A lot to unpack. When When you get to the scene, you know, in the second half of the movie, near the end of it, really, where he is remaking... Uh, this second woman in the image of the first woman, it's and, and nuts. They're, to, they're they're actually the same woman. He doesn't know that though. Um, but just the whole like all of the levels of sexual dysfunction and obsession to peel, you know, peel from that. It's just one of the most wonderfully complicated uh, movies ever made. Uh, from well, a guy who knew from sexual dysfunction. We'll just put it that way. Right. And I mean, that scene, the scene, the green scene, right? The scene where she's getting ready for dinner and they're talking about what they're going to eat and she's putting her earrings on. Oh, and yeah. The, just that, if you just pulled that scene alone out of that film and put it, you know, and just it, like nobody had ever seen it until 2021. You just showed that to us today. We would be like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> it is so amazing and yeah. so innovative. And I, Damn Hitchcock, you know what you're doing. You may be a son of a son of a bitch, but you know what you're damn doing. The master director. Yeah. Truly. Yeah, he loved those blondes. He y'all. did. Uh, number eighty one for me is is um, and this is the final installment or the final film in this list. Yep. Um, pretty pretty radical hop away from Hitchcock. Uh, even further back in time, but we're going back to France. Uh, my number 81 is Jean Renoir's Grand Illusion, ah. uh, his uh, World War I movie um, that, that takes this grand sort of humanistic philosophy of Renoir's and applies it to um, characters on both sides of the conflict in, in spotlighting um, these two French soldiers who try to escape um, from behind an enemy lines. Um, um, I saw this on the big screen for the first time at the New Orleans Film Festival cool. years and years ago, but but that was the one sort of like um, restoration uh, that I wanted to check out, and boy, did I just have a great time with it. It's, yeah. it's such a good film. Um, not my favorite Renoir film. We're going to hear more about Renoir a little figured, later on this list um, with his uh, indisputable masterpiece coming up a little later, but um, Grand Illusion is just amazing. And speaking of mentors, uh, my in grad school, my committee chair, Jeremy Butler, one of his favorite film, Dr. Butler, one of his favorite films of all time, I do believe. Well, he's the one who showed me um, the crime of Monsieur Long, uh-huh. and I think I watched the rules of the game in his class, that too. So, about right. Um, Dr. Butler loves him some Renoir, and I, I don't blame him. He's amazing. We'll tag him up in this, and then he, maybe he'll listen to this podcast, and he will have many notes for me. <laughs> well, uh, likewise, I am sure. Oh, I'm um, sure. Uh, but but great professor. Um, uh, really, really fond of his classes for when sure. I was a student. And anyway, he would disagree with our list. Uh, so you email us if you disagree as well. And that well, he's not going to disagree with everything, but he uh, he's going to disagree with probably ninety six percent of my list, and maybe seventy percent of yours. That's fair. That's fair podcast at sidewalkfest.com to let us know what you disagree with. We got some weird shit on these lists, so I don't I don't blame anybody for disagreeing. Um, and uh, keep listening, because we've got the top 80 films, our top 80 films, to cover in the next uh, installments in this series. So, um, well, keep a listen for it. 
And now, a look at what we're watching this week. Hey, Corey, I'm going to tell you what I've been watching, and then I'm going to ask you what you've been watching. Please. Uh, mine is not a rarity here, but um, Chloe Cook, our executive director, had mentioned to me, uh, I think she'd maybe heard me mention Designing Woman on the podcast and said, have you seen that the, the new HBO Max show, Hacks? Yeah, people love that Hacks. Gene Smart. Yeah. So I took a break. I've only watched the pilot episode because, as you know, I'm programming the festival right now, which means I'm watching a lot of other stuff and busy with a lot of other stuff. But I did think, well, she's recommended it. She thinks I'll like it. I do love Gene Smart. I actually love the entire cast of Designing Woman. And so I'll jump into this thing and see what I think. And, yes, she's right. I, I thought this thing was was hilarious. Um, the, I was shocked by the production value being as good as it is. I do want to point out that um, it, it, of course, features Gene Smart. Um, but also is, is one of the creators and the pilot episode at least was written and directed by, and I'm going to try to say her name, right. Um, Lucia, our first name is Lucia Uh Anello. So isn't she, um, didn't she do Broad City? She did. She's a producer on Broad City, wrote and, some um, episodes of Broad City. That movie Rough Night? That's right. She's, yeah. She she worked on that as well. And so, uh, but this is, I think, probably her sort of. Uh, probably getting a lot more she's probably she herself is getting a lot more attention for this than probably anything else she's sure, ever done. Sure, sure. And um the, here's some things I love about the show just very quickly. Uh, first of all, it takes place in Las Vegas mm-hmm. and there are a lot of sort of Las Vegas centric jokes. There are some the pilot episode also has some LA centric stuff. So that stuff is all really fun, I think. As a matter of fact, there's a a, a Pentonix <laughs> Uh, joke in the first few minutes that also is in the first six minutes. I noted that joke was in there, which I laughed at, but that joke does continue. They bring nice. it, they, they sort of hit it a few times. It is, it is really funny. Um, Gene Smart is terrific in this thing. And it's really fun. The, the sort of inciting incident here, if you don't know, is that she's been for a long time, you know, on play, had, had a show on the strip in Vegas and they're reducing her number of shows. And so her, her sort of shoddy manager is trying to get her connected with another one of his uh, clients who's much younger writer who has recently been canceled because of a, a you know, a joke that she did that was in poor taste. And so he's trying to connect these two very uh, brazen sort of uh, smart, brazen, aggressive women together who are from different generations. And there's a lot of joke sparring back and forth between them, cool. which makes it really, really fun. I-, I laughed a lot during this, but also thought it was just really well done. It goes a little campy at times. It doesn't bother me too much. And some of the jokes don't land, but this thing isn't precious. Mm-hmm. It just keeps moving and you know doesn't look back. And I appreciate that about it. So, And I also... This the background of Vegas is I think it feels different than a lot of stuff that I've seen lately and I like it a lot. So cool. yeah, that's what I'm watching. Jean Smart's killing it. She's um good on her. Well, she you know, she was in Watchmen, the the television series on yeah. HBO, and she's in Mayor of Easttown. She's Kate Winslet's mom in Mayor of Easttown. Yeah. So she's got a really great supporting uh role in that. So good for her. Yeah, I need to catch up with Hacks. Uh, people really love it and um yeah, I'll have to check it out. Um, so what I've been watching, uh, last week, um, I mentioned that I was in the middle of the Tribeca Film Festival, um, accessed, you know, their online programming from home. Um, so we, we rounded out the second half of the Tribeca Film Festival. And, um, honestly, I think most of the movies that I really loved from Tribeca I saw in the second half. So I'll run through a couple of those pretty quickly. Um, some really fun, um, sort of 
quote unquote midnight uh, programming there. A movie called We Need to Do Something that's uh-huh. uh, been acquired by IFC Films, yep. starring uh, Sidewalk favorite and Corey Craft favorite Pat Healy uh, and Vanessa Shaw. Um, they're the parents of uh, a family who are trapped in a bathroom when a tornado comes in and, and maybe knocks over their house or something, question mark. We don't know because right. we're stuck in that bathroom. And then all kinds of creepy stuff starts happening on the other side of the door. Um, this is a wild-ass ride. Cool. Um, it is, it's is—it's a really fun horror movie. Likewise, um, a movie that is opening at the Sidewalk Cinema in a couple days as of this recording, Werewolves Within. I I caught that. It is a werewolf whodunit uh, with a broadcast of of kind of like very silly comic performances. Um, But there's something about the the broadness and silliness of this that that worked for me. Um, And and of course, you know, werewolves. Right. You We're know, happy to have us at the cinema. That's like three stars right there in and of itself. For it's, sure. You know, werewolves. Um, but my absolute favorite movie of the festival was another midnight selection um, that I immediately messaged you and Charlie about yeah. when I finished it called Ultrasound. Um, and Ultrasound is a movie I don't want to spoil too much about, but it starts with uh, a character played by Vincent Carthizer, uh, another Sidewalk alum. Um, he, um, he His car breaks down during a storm. He walks to a, a house where a man and his much younger wife are living. Um, awkward chit-chat ensues, and then things really uh, fly off the rails from there. Um, but what this is is just one story in this large sort of kaleidoscope of interconnected stories that that has something to do with uh, a secret research facility and a uh, possibly corrupt uh, U.S. senator. Um, and what this ends up being is kind of an off-kilter sci-fi mind bender along the lines of something like coherence or upstream oh, color. Cool. Um, yeah. and, and it's it's done on a shoestring budget, but it it raises some really neat um sci-fi ideas. And I don't want to say too much about it because part of the joy about it is is discovering what this movie is and um you know, it, it it seems almost incomprehensibly, you know, like nonsense in the first like 45 minutes and then pieces start falling into place nice. and it comes together beautifully. Nice. So it's a really, really good movie if you love sci-fi mind benders that are clever and done on a budget. Uh, so I, I really, really recommend that. Hopefully it'll get picked up for distribution at some point so a, a broader audience can see it. But well, hopefully it'll get picked up for distribution at a point that works for us. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Not immediately. Um, right, right. So Netflix, put that checkbook down or whatever. Oh, they can't. They don't know how. Yeah. And then, and then really, really quickly, three um, documentaries of note that oh, I cool. saw through uh, Tribeca. Uh, a film called LFG, uh, uh-huh. which I think is coming to HBO Max in a it couple is. weeks. Um, That's right. About the U.S. women's national soccer team. Sort of a profile of many of those figures, including, obviously, Megan Rapino, who's the breakout star. Um, and it profiles the team's uh, equal pay lawsuit against the U.S. Uh, soccer Federation or whatever it's called. Right. Uh, because, you know, 
know, they're drastically underpaid compared to the men, and they're much more successful and beloved than the men's team, at least in the United States. Right. Um, so pay them ladies what they're worth, y'all. Um, that's Corey Kraft's determination of, on, on the matter. You know how Amazon has the checkbook out? Uh-huh. That's when they put it back in their pocket. Right, exactly. Oh, women want money? No, 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 no. We gave them an allowance, didn't we? Right. In 1957, we gave women an allowance. and. <laughs> Why do they want more money? Oh, uh, it's a really great film, though. I think um, I think you'll dig it cool. if, if you get a chance to watch I, it. Um, I am. I have a chance to watch it. Actually, I'm, yeah, I'm, nice. in, I'm in possession of a, a very um, interesting screener right now. Oh, how about that? So, yeah, yeah. I think you'll dig it. Um, the Neutral Ground is uh-huh. another documentary um, that I saw through Tribeca. A kind of dry comic, almost sort of Michael Moore style look at the controversy specifically in the city of New Orleans, but it eventually expands its scope over taking down Confederate monuments. Right. And as two residents of a city that went through our own sort of um, storm over a very prominent Confederate monument in downtown Birmingham last year after the death of George Floyd uh, and the uh, subsequent protests, um, I thought this movie was fascinating to see this drama play out all over the place. Yeah. Um, and it culminates in some really eye-opening, like scary footage too, mm. that I don't want to talk too much about because again, um, part of the joy of this movie is going on this at first kind of light comic sort of, Hey, you know, we're just going to daily show our way through this sort of thing. Right. And then things get real. Right. So um, really recommend that movie. Uh, and finally, uh, a documentary called North by current, um, mm-hmm. which is, um, a, a uh, filmmaker named um, Angelo Madsen Minax, who is a trans man, uh, returns to his hometown uh, in Michigan, I think it is, to profile his family. His family has just suffered a loss. His family is devoutly religious. They're Mormon, in fact. Mm-hmm. And his family's still, frankly, kind of struggling with him coming out and transitioning. Right. Um, but... But the real serious thing is the family um, just lost a his his young niece under circumstances that the police deem suspicious. Wow! So this is a it, it's a very in, formally inventive and interesting sort of docu essay um, that's almost it's partially self portrait. It's partially. Um, portrait of a family. It reminds me a lot, though it's not formally very similar to uh, the Travis Wilkerson movie, Did You Wonder Who Fired the Gun in some ways, but yeah. um, it's, a, it's a little bit more conventional than than that movie, which is straight up docu-essay. This is something a little different, but it's it's so, and, and this word gets thrown around a lot these days, and it's, I find its usage sometimes kind of condescending, but it's honestly, like genuinely, a, a work of bravery to mm-hmm. expose oneself and one's family um, in, in in kind of an unvarnished way. Um, yeah. I really responded to it, though. So um, those, well, that's six movies six from Tribeca. Films, yeah. um, I watched a lot more than that, but those are the six like standouts that immediately come to mind for, for me uh, for the from the second half. And, and I really, really responded to all of those to one degree or another. Very cool. That's a lot to watch. Well, thanks for listening to us talk on Side Talks. And talk and talk and talk. Right. That got talky, but. Got talky. This was a talky episode. It's good. 
um, you know, when you give us movies to talk about, we talk about them. That's right. Uh, but we are your own personal cinematic Red Bull and Monster Energy drink. Oh, God, they're both poison. <laughs> the one time I had an energy drink, I felt so sick immediately afterwards. It was the most unpleasant, like, I'm feeling super wired, but I also feel like I want to die feeling. Huh. And that was with no added alcohol. That was with nothing else. It was just like, hey, do you want an energy drink? And I was no like, yeah. RBV? No RBV? No, God. Uh, it was like, hey, you're a college student. You've got to study for finals. And this is what other people drink. So I tasted one and then I wanted to die. I could drink one and go to sleep. So I really wish I had that feeling. I would, I would, I would take a awake but want to die over just passing out because I'm old. Um, but by the way, no matter how Corey reacted negatively to an energy drink, if an energy drink wanted to sponsor us, we would drink them. Yeah, give me a give me a bunch of Monster <laughs> Energy drinks. Come um, on, Killer Buzz. You've got you know oh, Stan Killer Pate, Buzz. Stan Pate right there in Tuscaloosa. Stan, if you're listening. Killer Buzz, send us some money. There, there were people walking around the University of Alabama campus when I was a student, handing out samples of Killer Buzz. Yeah, because they were working for Stan Pate. Yeah, good. Our gracious. own little Tuscaloosian villain, Sam Pate. But if you wanted to sponsor this podcast, Stan, as well, we'll take your money, dude. <laughs> um, we'll take your money. Anyway, uh, that's not what we're doing right now, though. We're thinking about Wall Studios. We're getting you out of here, right? Yep. And um, check us out on social media at Sidewalk Film on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or at SidewalkFest.com, where you'll find cinema information and information about the upcoming Sidewalk Film Festival in August, which you heard about in the intro like nine years ago. Yeah. It's coming I'm, up. I'm about to go drink a killer buzz. Bye. See you later. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words... Our expertise.